Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. I'm using the title this morning, Something Lacking. You'll discover that a similar phrase, not that exact phrase, but a very similar phrase that Jesus will speak that I want to use as the basis for the message this morning. At verse 17, now when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, there's the key, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but with God, uh, Thank you, pardon. Let me read it over. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus said, answered and saith, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, ye shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions in the world to come, eternal life. But many, but many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Our Father, we pray that you will take this word of yours we've read and make it beneficial to our lives 
we share together in an understanding of your word. For unsaved in our midst, we pray that the word will touch those hearts. For those of us who acknowledge you and confess our love for you, that through this worship today, our love would grow and be demonstrated in the lives that we live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We have one of the finest young men that possibly could be talked about in this passage of Scripture. A man with charm. He was clean-cut, no doubt. A humble man. <coughs> Courageous. He was a prominent leader, outstanding in character. He had a fine position. He reverenced God. And he had money. You ladies would delight if your daughter brought him home as a possible son-in-law. For he had all of those fine characteristics that any woman would want for her daughter or husband. And the fact that he was wealthy did not detract from him at all in his appeal. But we notice that in the scripture, he comes running to Jesus. And he falls down before him, and he asks a very strange question for a man of this caliber to ask. And the question is, what must I do to have everlasting life or eternal life? I would like for us to look at a problem that he has. His problem is not his character, nor his charm, nor his clean-cut appearance, but his problem is his wealth. And you might, like I, say, well, I surely would like to have that problem. It would just tickle me to death to have to worry about money, to worry about having positions. And it's upon this particular point that I want us to note the problem that Jesus saw in the man. Let me say three things to start with about wealth. Most of us will say, well, that won't count me because I'm not wealthy. But do you know that there is no place that I know of in the scripture that identifies when you reach that state of being wealthy? How much does it take to be wealthy? It's very simple to answer that. It takes more than I have. It would take more than you have. Every person would say it's more than what I own. As I have said to you before, Nelson Rockefeller was asked one time how much money it would take to make him satisfied, and he said, just a little bit more. And most of us would respond with that answer, the wealthy person is the one who has more than, than I have. So let us not be caught up, to begin with, let us not be caught up in the issue as to whether or not we are wealthy. Because we have a certain amount of wealth 
in varying degrees represented in this congregation. Some of us have less than others, some of us have more than others, but we all have something that will be described as wealth. There are three things that I think we need to begin with to talk about as far as wealth is concerned. And that is, the person who has wealth, of that individual, God expects more than the person who has less. If you have any degree of financial security, of property, of anything that might be put in the category of wealth, there is an expectation that God has of you that is more than the person who has less than you. Or as Luke 12:48 says, unto whom much is given of him is much required. It's important for us to realize that God expects from each of us a certain amount of stewardship in returning to him, to his work, to his worship, to the church that he established, a proportional amount of that which we have. That's point number one. If we have it, we have an obligation in the eyes of God to properly use it. Secondly, if we have wealth, there is a certain peril that goes with having wealth. We can find in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, these words, and he said unto them, that is, Jesus said now, and we're going to quote Jesus, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Now look at that again. And you will notice that he throws up a flag of caution. Because there is a tendency for a person who owns something to think too much of what he owns. Too much. And the Lord says that you must take heed lest that you be overcome with covetousness because of what you own. And to realize that a person's life does not consist of what he owns. There's something deeper. Thirdly, we find it here in the book of Mark, in just the scripture that we read. Possessions well, makes salvation extremely difficult to obtain because it will get in the way of our seeking salvation. If you would read, well, I'll do it, verses 23 here in this 10th chapter. And following, look at what Jesus has to say when he looked at his disciples 
after the young man had rejected his appeal and said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? If you would read that verse from the Living Bible, it would be translated, It is almost impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. Almost impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples were astonished at what he said. And so Jesus comes back with another statement on the same subject in verse 24 after they expressed astonishment at his statement. He said, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven, almost impossible. And then he returns and says in verse 24, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven? So he narrows it down. It's not the ownership of things. It is the the attitude that one has toward that which he possesses that will keep him out of heaven. It was not the fact that this young man was rich that kept him from salvation. It was the fact that he was so dependent upon it, thought of it so much value that he couldn't possibly think of living without it that made it impossible for him to get into heaven. Something was in the way. And it is his riches. I want to say very emphatically, and I'm serious, that what a person possesses interferes with his relationship to God. It'll interfere. Let's take, for example, and I'll break it down to show that there is no difference in degree. If one owns a fishing cap, that can interfere, I say can interfere with his service to God. If one owns a fishing boat, that can interfere with his service to God. If one owns a fishing pole, that can interfere with his service to God. So it makes no difference the amount of money that has been put into the project, it is one's attitude toward that particular activity that can, I say can, interfere with one's service to God. Jesus gave us a good parable when he said that a man prepared a feast and sent out his servants to invite the people into the meal and he went out, and they went out, and said to one man, come to the meal. And the man said, I just bought a piece of ground, and I've got to go see about it. Therefore, I can't come. His possession interfered. Secondly, another man said, I just bought a new automobile. Oh, no, it was a yoke of oxen. All right. Same principle. I've got to go try them out. I guarantee you that 50% of the people who buy a brand new automobile will not be in church the next Sunday. Because they're going to go try it out. You disagree? The third one 
said, I'm sorry, I just got married. And he didn't even offer an excuse. He said, therefore, I just can't come. One of the observations that I have made over the years in the weddings that I have performed on the following Sunday, that couple is not in church, either here or anywhere else. The possession of a new wife interferes with the service of God. The possession of a new husband interferes with the service of God. What one owns can and does have an effect upon how we serve God. I sat with a Catholic priest on a train one time. As I rode to, uh, from Parkersburg to Louisville, Kentucky. Why I ever took the train, I don't know, but I did. And I sat by this priest. And we talked, and he found out I was a Baptist preacher, and I found out he was a Catholic priest, and so we talked about a lot of things. And his comment was to me, you'll have to admit that your being married interferes with your service to God. He thought I was going to agree with him. But you know, I have never forgotten his statement. And I do realize that there are times in life that being married, even all of these years, does interfere. It is not the fact that we are married or that we own oxen or a new automobile or that we own a piece of ground or whatever it might be that is the problem. The problem is our attitude toward it in relationship to our service to God. That's the problem. Nowhere do we find Jesus discouraging owning property or being wealthy as far as that's concerned. He is talking about the fact that we must be careful that we do not think more of that possession than we do of God. Now, the man says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he started listing them off. And the man said, well, I've kept all of them all my life. And you would have thought, in his mind, he said, gee, I have eternal life. But the man knew he didn't. He said, what do I like yet? Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it away and then come follow me. Why did he tell him to do that? He didn't tell everybody to do that, just this young man. The reason was the man had placed superior value upon his possessions to the point that he was unwilling to give any of it up. If he had to give it up to have salvation, he was not going to be saved. And that is the basic problem even yet today amongst many, many people. They will not be saved because their value system has been all screwed up. They think more of something physical. This man lacked a Savior. He lacked a willingness to be submitted to God. He lacked a willingness to follow Jesus Christ. He lacked a change in attitude. He lacked a proper perspective of life. When Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He was not willing to think of that question. 
He was willing to gamble that he was going to live forever. He was upon earth. His possessions would be of value. And there is many a person who does not come to Jesus Christ because of what stands in between him and his Lord. Let's learn three lessons about this particular episode with the rich man and Jesus. Number one, I think we should learn that being good does not make us a child of God. Now, most people don't buy this idea because too many people believe in that salvation and morality are equal. If you're moral, you're saved. The scripture does not teach that. Now, he believed in God, the young man did. He believed in God very definitely. He had obeyed all the laws. He had a proper relationship with his neighbors. He had never murdered. He had never committed adultery. He had never stolen a thing in his life. He had never told a lie. Never borne false witness against anybody. He had indeed honored his father and his mother. He had done all the things that seems to make a good person. Jesus did not come to save the righteous, but the sinner. And if a person is so moral, to think that he can be saved, Jesus came not for you. He came for the one who admits that he's immoral, that he's unrighteous and unjust. So the first lesson that we should learn is we must understand that being good doesn't mean you're saved. Secondly, we must learn that a good man can be wrong. Let me say four things that this man made a mistake in. Number one, he was wrong about how a person is saved. He said, what must I do, little old word do, to have life. He was wrong about how you get saved. He thought you could earn salvation. You don't have to go very far until you find somebody who thinks that he can earn his way into heaven. All he's got to do is be good. Good lives come about after one is saved. That's the desire of a person that's saved, is to live a good life, but that does not make him saved. Salvation, as we all know, is a gift from God. We've repented of our sins and accepted him as our Savior. Secondly, he was wrong about what goodness is in thinking that external respectability means that the heart is clean. Now listen to that. He thought external acceptability meant that he had a pure heart. When a person is thinking about getting things straightened up, they talk about cleaning up their act. I, I notice four things about what they say. They say, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to quit gambling, I'm going to quit running around, and I'm going to quit cursing. That's pretty good life once you do all those things. Morally, he's fine. Then he says, I'm going to start doing two things. I'm going to start going to church, and I'm going to start reading my Bible. And what has he said? 
I'm going to take a bath physically, and I'm going to clean up so that I look real good. I'm going to put on a nice suit or a dress. I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to shave. I'm going to do all. I'm going to look pretty good. Everybody's going to say, my, what a fine fellow you are. That's exactly what they thought of the rich man. What a fine girl you are. Gee, you look great. You quit all of those bad habits, and you started going to church. Now, we will look at that guy as saying, he really has made a change. But I want to suggest to you that that person, man, woman, boy, or girl, has simply whitewashed the sepulcher. You remember that Jesus talked about whitewashed sepulchers. In that day, at the cemetery, on the feast days, they would go out ahead of time and they would whitewash the, the tombs, the openings to the sepulchers, and trim the grass and clean up all the trash, and they looked real good, like we do in our cemeteries at certain times. And so when people come by, they see a beautiful picture. But he said, inside those whitewashed sepulchers are dead men's bones. Death is inside. It just looks pretty. I want you to understand, I hope you do, that cleaning up one's life has nothing to do about being saved. It's simply washing the outside so that man sees a good picture. But God looks on the heart. God sees behind the whitewashed tomb and sees that internally it's death and corruption that would be repulsive if the door of the sepulcher were ever opened. To clean up one's act does not make one saved. And this is what the young man thought. I have a good act. But he still recognized something was wrong. Thirdly, he was wrong about Jesus. He came to Jesus and called him good. Good master. What must I do to be saved? He said, why are you calling me good? There's nobody good but God. The young man had not recognized Jesus as God. He simply was recognized Jesus as another fine preacher, teacher, a member of the synagogue, a religious leader, but he never recognized him as the Son of God. Now listen, that's a mistake many people also make yet today. In thinking of Jesus as one of the great religious leaders of all the world, that would compare to Muhammad and all the other great religious leaders of the world. And you look in the history books and you will find Jesus Christ listed. When people start listing uh, who are the great men that have affected history, our Savior goes way down the list in the great men of this world. He is recognized only amongst men. This man recognized Jesus as Simply another man, not as God. Fourthly, and which brings us back to our point, he was wrong about what is valuable in life. He was wrong about what is valuable. He thought that what he owned was too good to give up to have eternal life. As long as a person thinks that what they have 
is more important than what God offers. Never be saved. A young woman that I talked to at a wedding not very long ago, I asked uh, uh, if she went to church, and she said no. And I invited her to come to our church, and her response to me was, well, I work all week long, and that's the only chance I have to rest. And I thought, lady, you're going to hell because you do not see the difference between what you own and what God is offering. Lastly, I think we should learn that if we're going to be saved, it's going to be a surrender. This is one time when the church would advise giving up. I surrender. I give up. I will no longer fight. We must be ready to give up all for Jesus Christ. If it's money that stands in our way, it'll either get out of the way or it will be a stumbling block that will prevent salvation. It might be family. A lady said to me one time when I invited her to become a Christian and come to our church, she said, my father would have a fit. He learned that I went to a Baptist church. He's been a church of Christ all his life, and if I went to a Baptist church, it would, he would disown me. And she said, I'll tell you what, he's getting old, and as soon as he dies, I'll come. Well, lady, you may not make it to that point. If it means giving up family to be saved, it'll be necessary. It might, in some cases, not in our case very likely, but give up homelands, and there have been many people doing that. It might be giving up position. It might be the necessity for us to give up our life. Whatever it might be, to be saved is a surrender of all that we feel is of value and count it as nothing, as Paul said. I count it as loss to gain Christ. The man rejected the offer. And he went away sorrowfully. One of the tragedies of rejecting Jesus Christ is that it will bring nothing but sorrow. Turning away from Jesus is a sad, sad experience. Gladness and happiness comes from receiving it. How many times have I heard I did not realize what joy was until I became a Christian. Not meaning that we would have everything fine, that we'd be happy all the time, and everything would go our way, because it certainly doesn't. But I found something in Jesus Christ, as you have, that means more than all the world. And to that, we must give our Lord thanks. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to know our Lord. And if there's something in your way, you're going to have to get rid of it. Put it aside. Count as nothing in order to have the most precious thing in all the world, which is salvation through Christ our Savior.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.